Let me invite you to find your way back to your seat, please, and remain standing. Turn with me to the book of Exodus. We'll be looking at Exodus chapter 32 this morning. Pastor Paul is away at his mother's memorial service. Pastor Matt is away at Rancho Palooza. So the fourth string is in today. And we are going to continue in our study of darkness to light in our beautiful uh, attempt of unpacking the riches of the book of Exodus. And today we're in chapter 32. Chapter 32 of Exodus is the golden calf incident, which you are probably well aware of. But did you know this? This is one of the most repeated or retold stories throughout all of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, it's either directly quoted or retold in part throughout all of Scripture. The Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says that this account of idolatry and building the golden calf is there as an example that we would not fall into the same temptation and sin of adultery. It is a call for us not to forget these things over here because in not forgetting these things, then we are quick we are able to see, to visualize God's faithfulness to his covenant, that he has never left us, he never will leave us, that he pours out his abundant rich mercy and grace upon us. But what is it over here that we are not to forget? Well, let's give our full attention to the reading and preaching of the word and find out that we might live in this grace and mercy today. What I'm going to do this morning is we're not going to read the entire chapter. When you get to a section in your bulletin that says dot, 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 we've skipped some scriptures and I'm just going to summarize it for you and then jump ahead. Let's begin. Chapter 32, verse 1. Hear now the word of God. When the people saw that Moses delayed from coming down off the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him or become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. And he received uh, the gold from the hand, their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation saying, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf, and have worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And they sa- the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a new generation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, 
O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from his disaster and the things that he had spoke, spoken of bringing on his people. Moses comes down the mountain. He hears what is taking place as they are dancing around the golden calf. And he takes the two tablets and he throws them down and breaks both of the, of the tablets that the Lord had put his finger on and written the law. He takes Aphis, the golden calf. He throws it into the fire till it is consumed, and then he takes the ashes, he puts it in the water, and he forces the Israelites to drink it so that they might taste the bitter gall of their own sin. And then he turns to Aaron and says, what the heck, buddy? What were you thinking? And Aaron does a blame shift of like no other blame shift that, like we would do. He says, these people, they're a stick people. They, they threw all their gold in the fire and it just it popped out. I had absolutely nothing to do with it. And then we pick up verse 25. When Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the Levi, sons of Levi gathered around him. The sons of Levi now make their way through the entire group, through all of the Israelites, calling them to repentance. 3,000 refuse to repent, and they are put to the sword that day. They die. Moses, for a second time now, intercedes for the Israelites, saying, Lord, if you will not forgive their sin, then blot out my name from your book, and we pick up then in verse 34 when God says, Now go, Moses, and lead these people to the place about which you and I have spoken. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We've probably read this account many times, heard it preached many times. But what we would ask today, Lord, is that you would open our eyes to behold Behold it afresh and anew that it might shine light in our darkness, the darkness of our lives, the idols that we create in our own lives, thinking that we are fooling you, but trying to find joy in places apart from you. But in doing that, then, Father, open our eyes to behold the beauty of your faithfulness to your covenant. Do it for your glory's sake, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please, friends, be seated.
If you're new to Redeemer uh, or visiting with us today, I, I'm part-time here at uh, Redeemer Presbyterian, and in my semi-retirement, I also do wine tours to the hill country. And uh, several weeks ago, I had finished uh, a wine tour. I had taken all of the, the people in my party back to their Airbnb. I had made my way back to the town where we park our vans, and I pulled into the Exxon station, and I jumped down. Now, these are all Sprinter vans, so everything's big for me anyway. But when I jump down, I literally jump all the way down. And I was facing the pump that I was about to use. And I looked over the top of the pump and I saw a man standing there. We locked eyes. I saw his face and I quickly moved to put my card in. And I thought, I know that guy. I know that guy. What's that guy's name? I know that guy. Where do I know him from? I'm turning around and I'm putting the nozzle in. And I know that guy. I know that guy. I know. Well, I can't remember where he's from. I can't remember his name. I'm filling up my tank until I finish. And I turn to put it back. And he's looking right at me. And he says, well, Bryant McGee. And I said, well, hey, you. And I was hopeful that it wasn't near as obvious to him as it was in my mind. I have no idea what this guy's name is. I know that I know him. He certainly knows me, but I cannot remember his name. He says, what are you doing here? And I said, well, you know, Jennifer and I kind of did a semi-retirement and we moved to the hill country. And he said, hey, let me text you my phone number and let's get together. Let's catch up. And I'm thinking... Great, I'll get a phone number of someone I don't even know who it is. And then I'll think, I still don't know who you are. But about an hour or two later, to my surprise, I get a text. And it says, hey, Bryant, Bill Smith here. Not his name. I was so great seeing you today. Let's have lunch and catch up. And I thought to myself, Bill Smith, of course, his name is Bill Smith. I know right where I know Bill Smith. He was a member of the church that I pastored for almost 20 years in Redeemer in McKinney. Now, to my credit, it's been seven years since I've seen him. But anyway, I realized that we did get together. We had lunch. It was wonderful. I thought that was the end of the story. Just last week, I was sitting in a winery, and I was meditating on this particular passage, and I was thinking, hey, this would be a great opening illustration that I could talk about how I forgot Bill, since it's about forgetting it, all of this stuff. And I'm writing it all down, and I think, oh, I got to go grab my party and move the van. I came around to the corner, standing right there at the bar. I say, Bill Smith, what are you doing here? It was wonderful to be able to call him by name even, well, for the first time, but know exactly who it was that I was talking to. But, but isn't that the case? Is that the case in your life? It is mine that I, uh, I forget. If, if it's not right in front of me, now I hadn't seen Bill Smith in seven years, but if it's not right in front of me, I seem, I seem to just push that to the side and I begin to focus somewhere else on new things, on different things. Or, you know, if sometimes this is not giving me all of the happiness that I, that I want, I, I, I push this away in, in, in search of the happiness. If this isn't working for me, then I forget about that and I move on to something that is. Friends, if that def defines, describes you as it, it does me, this is exactly what we find right here in Exodus chapter 32. This is a passage about forgetfulness, about forgetting the riches that are ours because either we divert our attention away and we move on to something else or we're not getting the happiness from that one thing that we think that we deserve. And so we're quick to move to something else in hopes of finding that happiness that we think 
that we deserve. Now, the layout of this passage here, let me help you with that as we're moving through this uh, and these particular passages of, of Scripture, thinking about where we are today. You'll remember two weeks ago when Pastor Matt finished chapter 24, the end of Exodus 24 read, and Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Moses had been summoned up on the mountain. Joshua went halfway up with him. Moses went to the top of Mount Sinai by himself. The Lord descended on the top of the mountain in the cloud that the Israelites could clearly see from the bottom of the mountain. And then verses uh, 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 25 through 31 are all of the instruction that God gives to Moses while he's up on the mountain about the building of the tabernacle. So when we read 40 days and 40 nights, then we read 25 through 31. That's actually what's taking place those 40 days and 40 nights up on top of the mountain. Then in 35 through 40, what we read is the actual building of the tabernacle by the Israelites. 32, 33, and 34 are right here in the middle. God's instructions on building the tabernacle, the children of Israel Israel actually building the tabernacle, but right here in the middle is this picture of their forgetfulness of who God is, who God was, and what he had promised to do how quickly they were able to forget, forget what it was that God had promised them, not only to them, but had been faithful to the promise from the very, very beginning. So these passages right here, as the Apostle Paul say, are for us an example that we might not forget what we're called not to forget and turn to our idolatry and sin against Yahweh. So these passages in 32, 33, and 34 are as important for us today as they were that particular day and in the day of the church at Corinth. So what's the point then of this passage that's important for us to understand? That the children of Israel forget what it is that God has promised. God burns with anger. He promises to wipe them out now because of his anger. But Moses, the covenant mediator, intercedes for the children of Israel on God's behalf. And God relents as the children of Israel repent of their sin. And then God gives them a picture of his covenant faithfulness throughout redemptive history. So what do they forget They forget their idolatry. Haven't Pastor Matt and Pastor Paul been telling us that? Think about this now, friends, the timing of what it is that has taken place since Moses was called from the burning bush. They have come out of their bondage in Egypt, and at 59 days, at 59 days out of coming out of bondage, Moses ascends Mount Sinai, and he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights, 99 days since they have come out of bondage in Egypt where they have seen all of the ten plagues, the last plague of the killing of the firstborn, the exodus where there's the parting of the Red Sea, the destruction of a world great power in the Egyptians, manna and quails, water from a rock. They have seen all of this in 99 days and how quickly they get out into the wilderness and they say, we don't know what's become of that guy Moses. And so they fashion, not only do they forget, but now they fashion for themselves one of the gods that they had seen the Egyptians worshiping in Egypt. 
His name is Apis. It is in the shape of a bull or a calf. And so they say to themselves, we don't know what has happened. They could see the smoke on the top of the mountain from the bottom. But Moses was delayed in coming down. And so not only had they forgotten God's faithfulness and what he had commanded, but now they fashion their own God, a God of Apis. And look at the language that goes back and forth with Aaron, verses 5 and following. Aaron saw this. He saw that they had taken all of their gold and they had crafted this particular thing and they had laid it uh, at his feet. This gold, by the way, would be that very thing that they had brought out of Egypt when they came out of bondage. When, when God said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh to give you the plunder before you leave. And, and he did. If you will just leave, we will give you everything. And they have all of this plunder in Egypt and they're leaving. God was about to ask for that plunder to build the tabernacle. But instead of building the tabernacle, they take it and they fashion this golden calf. This golden calf that now what they do, Aaron said he saw this, verse 5, he saw this, the golden calf, and he built an altar before it, before this golden calf. And then he made a proclamation. Now this is Aaron, he's about to become the chief priest who will make sacrifices for the Israelites. He saw this, he built an altar for it, and then he said tomorrow we are going to have a feast for whom? For the Lord, for Yahweh. Here's what we see. Here's what's taking place. The children of Israel, even while they see the smoke on top of the mountain, quickly forgetting the promises that God has given them, and they forged their own God, they put a foot in each camp. If Moses comes back, we've made feasts to him. We've had a special day for Yahweh. But if Moses doesn't come back, we stand up and we have our fill with Apis. They have put a foot in each camp to cover all of their bases. And dear friend, let me ask you, is that you? Where have you put your foot? In another camp to cover all of your bases. You have forgotten the God who made eternal covenant promises with you. You have taken your eyes off of that, or that has not brought you enough fulfillment, and so you've put them elsewhere. 2D images, bottles, 401Ks, relationships, your children. Where have you stepped your foot into another camp to cover both of your bases to bring happiness? Do not forget your idols. But we're called not to forget our idols, but then we go on not to forget the intercession because this is what Moses does as we go on in our reading. God says to him in verse 7, he says to Moses, go down for your people have brought, uh, the people that you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've done this terrible thing. Now he commands Moses to go down because man, uh, Moses is the covenant mediator and this isn't foreign to us. This is a pattern that has come from the very beginning of the scriptures. We find this covenant mediator in the person of Adam, created in the likeness of God, who is our first father. He is the one to who is to fill the earth and to subdue it. We find that same thing with Noah, when God looks around all of creation and he finds no righteous individual except for Noah, the covenant mediator. With Abraham, 
Look up to the sky, Abraham, and see the number of the stars. That's how many descendants you are going to have because you are the covenant mediator and now even in the life of Moses. Through the, all throughout redemptive history, God has given a covenant mediator stand in the gap between sinful people and a holy God to intercede for them. And that's why God commands him to go down and to do this very thing. But we actually have two intercessions. The first one is the intercession with Moses and God on the mountain before he descends. And then later in the book, we didn't read this, but towards the end of the chapter, it's Moses interceding after he sees the people where he declares that if God does not forgive their sin, to take his name out of the book of life. We have these two pictures of intercession, but look at the first one that starts up on the mountain. God burns with anger. He says, I know these people, verse 9, they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone and let me burn against them and destroy them. Moses intercedes and God relents. That's what we read in verse 14. The Lord relented from the disaster that he'd spoken about bringing on his people. What, what is going on? Is Moses such a man of God that he can intercede and change God's mind? Can we intercede in such a way that God will say, I plan to do it this way, but now, okay, you keep pestering me, or you've said all the words in right order, in the right way, so okay, now I'll do. No, let me tell you this. Don't forget these two verses before we come back to this one. 1 Samuel chapter 15. There we read that God says to Samuel, I, I, I resent the day that I made Saul king. The Amalekites were to be wiped completely out. God told Saul, go wipe out all of the Amalekites, and he did. But he brought King Agag back with himself and those bleeding sheep, remember? He didn't do what he had was commanded to do, and God's anger burned against him, and so Samuel fell down and interceded for Saul. Saul refused to repent, and so Samuel takes the sword, and he hacks up King Ahab into small pieces, and then God says, I am a God who never changes his mind. In Jeremiah chapter 18, we read there that God says, if these people are not with me, and they decide they are going to become with me, then I will relent of the curses that I called down upon them, and I will bring them blessings. If these people who are with me turn from me and will not repent, then I will relent of the promises that I gave them and now pour out my curses on them. Here's the point. When we, re re when we repent, God will relent. And that's what we find in this particular passage. In two ways, look at it. Verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, go down. God did not need Moses to go down to do what he was called to do. God could have done it all by himself, but he was the covenant mediator. Moses was the covenant mediator, and so God commanded him to go down. Go down and intercede for these people. And then, he says, if you will let me alone, verse 10, then my wrath will burn hot against them 
This is an implied condition because God never was going to be left alone. He was expecting that Moses would do what he had been commanded to do. Now Moses had been called from Exodus chapter 3, the burning of the bush, but you'll remember he came up with every excuse, didn't he, not to go. He came up with every excuse. And then in Exodus chapter 4, when God's anger burns against him because he will not stand up and take the task of becoming the covenant mediator, Zipporah, his wife, takes a flint rock and circumcises their sons and then sprinkles the blood of circumcision on Moses' feet until he says, Aha, I get it. That's why at the end of our chapter today, Moses could say, one is to, to die and atone for the other. If you will not forgive their sins, then I will die. Blot out my life. Blot out me. Because through the sins of, of the atonement of one, there will come the forgiveness of sins for the other. God expected Moses to, to do that. And look what Moses does. Moses says he pleads in intercession now, beginning in verse 7. He intercedes now in three different ways. God had said, now you go down, Moses, for your people that you brought out. And earlier, when the calf came out of the flame, they said, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. But look what Moses does in verse 11. Moses implored with the Lord and said to him, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out by your mighty power. He is pleading to the Lord, intercessing for these people, pleading to the Lord by their adoption, based on their adoption. Lord, these aren't my people. These aren't Apis's people. These are your people. These are your people. You chose these ites out of all of the other ites. You declared the Israelites, not because of their strength, their number, because of their goodness, but they will be my people and I will be their God. You chose them. They are your people, adopted sons and daughters. That's what he pled for. He pled for God's character. Look at what he says. Oh God, don't allow anyone in Egypt to say he's brought these people out of, here, out of there so that he could burn them up in the, in the wilderness. Verse 12, why should any Egyptian get to attack your character, Yahweh? And that was the plea, the intercession. And then third plea, he says, remember, verse 13, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Remember your covenant that you made. Remember when you swore to none other higher than yourself because there was no one else higher to swear to with Abraham. Remember, remember Yahweh. Remember you promised. You promised you would never do it. And so the Lord now, with this implied condition, expecting that Moses would do this, relents of the disaster that he had spoken on his people. Now, this is foreign to us, isn't it, friends? This standing in the gap, this idea of interceding for one another. But we are called to do it as well. We are now a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood and therefore commanded to intercede for those 
We intercede for our own family members, interceding for wayward children, for lost family members, interceding for our neighbors, lost neighbors, interceding for one another, for our health, for our concerns, our growth in grace, our repenting of our own sin that we are trying to hide together. We are called to stand in the gap and intercede for one another, not to atone for their sin, but as a royal priesthood, we are called to intercede for one another. But not just that, because what we do in our individual, uh, individualistic society is, I just got to take care of me. If I know for certain that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, then they can go to hell in a handbasket. And that's what we do many times, isn't it? Because we think that when we die, we go to heaven and that's it. But that's not it. Thanks be to God. There are new heavens and a new earth that are coming. And so we are thinking kingdomly, not just interceding for the relationships that we have, but now thinking kingdom, kingdomly because God is drawing a people to himself of every tongue, tribe, and nation. So we are interceding for the people at the bus uh, station downtown. We're interceding for the immigrants at the border. We're interceding for those that are uh, without uh, mothers or fathers, with orphans or prisoners or homeless. That's why we are in the city for the city, capturing a bigger picture than just us, a kingdom picture as we are pleading to the Lord, interceding, standing in the gap for those that are apart from saving grace. That's what we have to remember. Why? Because we have one, as the author of Hebrews says, who now sits at the right hand of the Father where he lives to intercede for us. You see, Moses, now, while a covenant mediator, this pattern that we have in covenant mediators, Moses was never going to be the perfect one. We see that in Adam, don't we? Called to be the covenant mediator, to fill the earth and subdue it, and what does he do? He eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Turns to Noah, the only righteous one. I look around all of this created order that I've done, the only righteous one. He's the covenant mediator. After the flood, he plants a vineyard, he gets drunk, and he lays naked in his tent. And then he turns to Abraham. Here's the guy. You see all those stars, all of those stars? Uh, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to pass through this smoking fire pot saying that may this happen to me. May I be divided in pieces if I don't keep my covenant with you. And Abraham says, okay, chapter 15 of Genesis. Chapter 16, he's in Hagar's tent having a fun. You see, in those mediators, while called to be covenant mediators, they would never be the permanent one. Only Jesus would be that one and I think Moses knew that, and I think here is why, because look what happens at the end. Now what we see is Moses says, okay. He stands up and he says to all of the people, verse 25, who is on the Lord's side? Those that are, come to me. And the Levites go through the camp, and they are killing all of those individuals, 3,000 number. Now, remember, 600,000 men came out of bondage in Egypt with their wives and children, about 2 million people. So this is a small number, 
But don't ne neglect the fact that there are consequences for our idolatry. There are consequences for our sin. The call, the invitation now is what we are not to forget. The invitation to come back to Christ. Who is on the Lord's side? I am. Then come, come back to this very one who pardons sin, who forgives sin. And then he says to Moses, now go back to your people and take them out of the wilderness, verse 34, and lead them to this land that you and I have spoken about. And behold, an angel will go, my angel will go before you. Now, spoiler alert, spoiler alert because this 32, 33, 34 all go together. When we open up verse 30, or chapter 33 next week, whoever's preaching next week, we're going to read, God says, go back to that land. My angel will go with you. I am not going to go with you, but I will give you all of the plunder of all of these different ites that he lists. You will have victory, success. You will make it to the land, but I will not go. My angel will lead the way. Now pause there for a moment, dear friends, and think to yourself, is that not good news in our eyes and ears many times? Is that not my very prayer every morning? Lord, I have so much to accomplish today. I need you to help me accomplish it. I need you to keep me healthy. Take away my sore throat. Give me something to say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. And I couldn't care less if I have a deeper relationship with him, I just need him to give me all of these things. And that's exactly what he's promising to Moses. I'll give you a people. I'll give you a place. I'll give you provision. I'll give you success. And how many of us would say, I'll take that all day long. And yet we are called not to forget that very thing. Because the invitation is not to simply receive things that he gives to us, but to receive him. The angel, my angel will go before you. Moses knows that God is not going. And so now Moses gives an invitation to Yahweh and says, will you show us your glory? And that's chapter 34. Moses is hid in the cleft of the rock as the glory of Yahweh passes by. Moses will read the law to the people and have to cover his face with a veil because of the glory of God. The invitation, Lord, please show us this, this covenant faithfulness. Show us this glory. Show us your glory because it cannot be found ultimately in me, Moses is saying. So show your people your glory. And he does. That veil now that's over Moses' face is never said to go away throughout the rest of his life. But then in the opening of the New Testament, the veil is torn in two from the top to the bottom. We have seen the glory. His, we have seen the Son of God. We have seen the Word made flesh. His glory. We see it in Christ alone. And that's what Paul says to the church at Corinth now in 2 Corinthians. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. 
For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is that veil taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. For we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are becoming transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now as we fix our eyes on Christ, the one who is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and in Christ alone do we behold the glory that now indwells within us by the power of His Spirit since the day of Pentecost. Do not forget your idols because it drives us to the point that we do not forget that He lives to intercede as we never forget the invitation, come to me, He says, all who labor and are heavy laden. That's the gospel. What a glorious gospel. A couple of weeks ago, my beloved 12-year-old little friend, Doug, died. Doug was my 14-year-old Yorkshire Terrier uh, dog. He actually is my grand dog. My daughter sent him to us to potty train him 14 years ago, and he was a slow learner. (laughs) (laughs) Doug was a a, a delight. I worked from home, and he was under my feet most of the day, and as, as Doug got older and older, the last year has been quite difficult. Doug had become completely blind, and he couldn't hear anymore. He was always under our feet. I had tripped over him three or four times, falling to the ground. He had become incontinent, um, and I, I just seemed to focus the last year thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of this. I'm tired of cleaning up the puddles and the messes, and I'm tired of carrying him down the stairs, and I'm tired of uh, tripping over him and all of these things. And then Doug died. And Jennifer posted a bunch of pictures and so forth on Instagram. And I was looking at those pictures one day, and I was it just caused me to go back and think over 14 years. I was so fixated with the frustrations the last year of his life with what I had to do in front of me. I had forgotten that this little guy was a trooper, man. He was the best dog ever. Well, the second best dog ever. I had another one that was better. But uh, (laughs) Doug was was smart. Doug was smart. Doug, Doug knew four or five sentences, and he would have come up to you, and he would talk to you. He'd come up, and he'd just go, oh, oh, and I'd say, do you need to go outside? Just look at you. Do you need to go potty? Just look at you. Do you want a bone? Look at you. Do you want dinner? Spin around. Three or four times he would spin around. He knew those four or five questions, and he would respond to whichever one is what he actually wanted. I sat there, and I meditated on that, and I thought, I remember those days. I remember that. He would howl on command. You could go, Arr! and he would go, Arr! we would get him going back and forth for hours howling. I cherish this little guy so much. Our church in McKinney, we had a day school, a Christian day school. I would take him for chapel to use as a, an illustration for this young, young children that day, and they got a great delight. Here's my point, friends. My point is I don't need words of affirmation. I'm so sorry that your dog died. I am sorry that he died. But that day, it caused me to reflect on his life, and I found great joy in that. 
But that's not your takeaway today. Your takeaway today is this. Have you found great delight in your Savior? Don't forget your idols. Don't forget those things that you fashion, that you think will bring you greater happiness where you're trying to live with one foot in each camp. Don't forget that you have a Savior who is seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for you today. And don't forget that He is there with arms open saying, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this gospel, even found in the Old Testament, where you were on every page. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who delights in sealing to us that your eternal, or your covenant promises are eternal promises. They are yes and amen in our Savior, the one who is even now interceding for us. Thank you, Lord, that you do this work that you seal to us. Our takeaway as we leave this by your Spirit. Help us, Lord, not to forget, but to fix our eyes on a covenant God who has been faithful to all his generations and will continue to be until you come again in the fullness of your glory. Do that for our good and for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.